Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to our newly renamed Speak of the Devils podcast. As we mentioned when we unveiled the new name, new name, but the same great content. I'm joined by Rob Lapolis, the play-by-play announcer for the Binghamton Devils. Good to see you again, and thanks for joining us. Rob, how you been? Matt, I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, how about yourself? I know it's, uh, it's been a while, it seems like, but uh, plugging away here in, in Binghamton. Well, uh, things are well here. Of course, we're all disappointed the way the season came to an end and the devil's not starting up again, but there's plenty to talk about. And in fact, we have spent time with you previously speaking with guys who spent a good portion of the season with the Binghamton Devils. And today we're pleased to welcome the man who walks behind that bench and uh, controls things as the head coach of the Binghamton Devils, Mark Dennehy. Mark, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast as uh, we interrupt a family trip checking out some colleges uh, you're in the passenger seat as your wife drives and uh, you check out where your daughter's going to go so thanks thanks to you and thank them for allowing this interruption i will matt thanks for having me i know uh, we're not only recording the audio but we're also on zoom and um my my middle daughter is a contortionist trying to stay out of the shot so um you know with all the dolling up they do you'd think they'd want to get pictures taken but that is not the case so uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye out to see if somehow she <laughs> makes her way over your shoulder there and, and gets a little peek at it. Uh, we get a little peek of her. But at any rate, again, thank you so much for joining us. So Thanks for uh, ca- catch us up with uh, what it's been like uh, for you. Uh, obviously, a family event that we're interrupting. But overall, since uh, the season came to an end, what's kept you busy? You know what? Um, there's been a lot. And it was obviously disappointing for everyone the season. Uh, coming to an abrupt end. Um, but it's been, you know, I tend to be a positive guy and, and looking at the positives, um, you know, professionally, we like the way we finished the season. I thought there was a lot of development, um, you know, obviously a lot of winning, which uh, I think is important in the development piece. Uh, and then in terms of the family, you know, my, my children are getting older. Um, as a matter of fact, my oldest daughter got her license two weeks before the pandemic struck. So she went from I'm free to solitary confinement. But as the parent of three daughters, it's just good to have them around. And, and um, you know, beyond that, there's been a lot of professional development. Uh, Tom Fitzgerald has organized a number of Zoom meetings. Uh, so there's, you know, everybody's on the same page developmentally. Uh, I know he does the same thing for scouting, both amateur and professional. Uh, and then I'm a part of a couple Zoom calls, really neat. Uh, uh, coach uh, Mike Babcock, who, uh, whose son I, I coached, got me on one with uh, Jacques Lemaire, who uh, uh, it's just it's a litany of, of NHL big time coaches. Jacques Lemaire, Scotty Bowman, uh, um, Ken Hitchcock, Barry Trotz. Um, and anybody that knows me knows that listening is a difficult task for me. I sit there the whole hour and don't say anything, which is, which is great. And then I put one together um, for our staff. And I've also included a number of coaches. I've got Jerry York on it. I've got uh, some women's coaches, uh, Jim Pluma, who's at the University of Vermont. Uh, just good opportunity to bounce some ideas off each other. And uh, with this new technology, or at least new to me, uh, the Zoom technology, it's, it's been great. So tell me what you get out of a Jacques Lemaire or a Scotty Bowman. I mean, it's the, these are the hall of famers, the Stanley cup winners, the greats of this game. I mean, you're kind of sitting there and just ears and eyes wide open, I guess. What, what have you learned most from those guys? 
So uh, the, the, it's run by uh, Jimmy Montgomery and John Goins, uh, who are both in the Montreal area. And um, what will happen is there'll be a topic put out. It's three days a week, and he'll ask different uh, coaches to present. So I talked a little bit about power play development. And um, so you, you, you talk for 10 minutes, and each there's usually three coaches that will present. And then it's open for questions and answers, and uh, inevitably – uh, one of the, the, you know, the legends, whether it's uh, Coach Bowman or Coach LaMare, someone will call on them and say, hey, can you, know, can you talk a little bit about this? And that's really when the, when the pens start scratching. Um, you know, and and there, isn't, there isn't a situation that they haven't been a part of. And so it's great to hear you know, maybe something that you struggled with. It's great to hear from one of the greats that, you know what, this is something that they struggled with as well. Um, and so the topics vary. Um, we, I, I told you we talked about power plays. We've talked about, um, you know, skill development. We've talked about um, uh, coaching your coaches. Um, there, there isn't a topic that, that is, is not open for discussion. And they've been so engaged. I think that's the thing that strikes me the most. You're talking about two of the best coaches of all time. And, you know, taking an hour, three days a week, uh, of their retired life to, to sit and talk hockey with us. It's fantastic. Now, Mark, uh, you know, you brought up a, a good point where, you know, you like bringing up things that you have struggled with. And uh, it was no secret the first half of the season prior to December 13th or 14th, uh, Binghamton had struggled. Uh, what did you kind of, I mean, did you reach out to anyone else? Did you, did you talk to anyone else? Like you were just saying with the, the zoom calls, but during the season, did you do something maybe similar during that time? Yeah, there are coaches both collegially and, and professionally that I speak to. Uh, I've been blessed to, to work with some great coaches in, in Sarge and Sergey Breland and, and Ryan Parent. And then, you know, you think about having a, a, an Eric Weinrich on staff and, and Scott Clemenson and Pat Rissmiller guys that have, have a lot of pro experience. Uh, not to mention Fitzy. I mean, Fitzy and I go way back, and, and uh, anybody that knows Tom knows his candor. So, um, yeah, we, we had plenty of discussions. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm an optimist, and you look back on that first, uh, I'd say, quarter of the season, and, I mean, we were ahead in a lot of games. Uh, I think it was just a matter of kind of learning how to win, and also we had, I think, probably all of our vets were brand new. And so they were just kind of getting acclimated to, to the, the, the devil way as well. So, um, you know, it's easy to point to a moment in time and say, this is when it all changed. I think it was a process. And, um, and yeah, there were a lot of resources that I reached out to for help. I think one of the other uh, things going into the start of this past season as well was uh, at the end of last year I remember Tom Fitzgerald mentioning uh, you needed more depth and one of the big differences last year was the amount of PTOs that the Binghamton Devils had to sign compared to this year where it was you know recalls from from Adirondack that was a big thing that uh, was addressed during the offseason too last year. I uh, really tip my cap to, to uh, management, whether it's Fitzy or, or Dan McKinnon, Scott Litwack. Um, you know, they went out and we signed Ben Street. We signed Chris Connor. We signed Julian Melchiori and, and, and Matt Tennis. You go right down the list, uh, Kyle Kaminsky, uh, Mike Paliota, guys um, that, that have had success at the American Hockey League level, some, a, a little bit of success at the NHL level as well. But they came in and, and they were just great pros. Um, you know, and you can have the best ideas – uh, in the world, if the players don't embrace them, you're done. 
And, uh, you know, I, I've, and, and I'll add Corey Schneider to that mix because he was down with us when the turnaround started and, and he played a big part in that locker room. So, um, you know, a coach is going to say what a coach is going to say. It's, it's more important what's said when they leave. Is it reinforced? Is it, uh, is there commonality? Um, is what the, the coach is talking about being embraced by the, the leadership group. And, and to their credit, they did. You won 12 of your last 13, 25 of your last 32, and you were just rocketing up the standings. Did you allow yourself a moment at all when it all came to an end to play the what-if game? No, no. I, I, you know what, Matt? Uh, I did as a younger coach, you know. Uh, I think it's important to kind of know the lay of the land, but if, if you're so worried about uh, the future or the past that you're not living in the present, um, you know, you're going to get passed by. Uh, you know, it, I will say this. I will say that, that I don't think there's many players in that locker room, including the coaching staff, that didn't want the season to continue. And that's when you know you have something special. When, when you play your last game and the guys wish there was more, um, you know, and I'd be interested to hear the 95 team, you know, as, as hard as, as, hard as the, the NHL playoffs is. You, you know that next year is not going to be the same. There'll be a, a change in personnel. There'll be a change in uh, some sort of dynamic. When you've got it going as well as we had it going, you want it to last forever. And unfortunately, and listen, I, and I said that the what if game in, and really we were hit with a pandemic. So you can't really play the what if game, but things are going <laughs> so well, right? I mean, what are you yeah. going to do? I mean, there are bigger issues in this world, but boy, what a terrific run uh, you were on. So, you had this club playing extremely well. We talked earlier about uh, the coaching Zoom cast you're a part of with some of the greats of the game, past and uh, present. So how did this all start for someone growing up in Dorchester, Massachusetts? Wow. Um, so I'm going to actually pull out a name of, uh, that, that uh, true Devils fans will remember. Um, my mentor in, in hockey growing up was a guy by the name of John Conniff. Um, John, yeah, great uh, name father, from Devil's Past. Yeah, John and my father were good friends. My father was a printer. Um, we were we were mo of modest means, um, but but my dad used to print John Conniff's uh, brochures for his hockey school, and so in exchange for uh, his his ragamuffin sons to be able to go and participate for the summer, so uh, I got to know Coach uh, Conniff very well. Probably one of the best coaches I've ever had. Uh, talk about passion, talk about being ahead of his time. Like he would, you know, he, he was adopting some of the Russian training standards before 1980, uh, before it somewhat became popular with Herb Brooks and the, and the, the, the Miracle team. Um, so he had a really good impact. But again, I, I never thought I'd coach, you know, I, I, and I tell, uh, <laughs> tell the assistants uh, how hard I was uh, a player to coach. You know, I was always one of those players that needed to know why, you know, had this conversation with someone the other day, you know, I was one of those guys, you know, that, that if you told me that to run through a wall, you know, I would look at it and I'd say, um, okay, well, is the objective to get to the other side? Because I think I can get over it. Um, but if you, if you can, <laughs> so you were ahead of your time too, because that's what the players, they want to know. Now they want to know why back then yeah. they mostly just ran through that wall. So you were ahead of your time as well. Yeah, well, I don't know if my coaches would put it that way. Uh, they'd like to, they would have liked to have kicked me down the road a little bit. Uh, uh, 
I understand when a player wants to know why. And there's, listen, there are still players that if you tell certain guys to run through a wall, they're going to try to run through the wall for you right away. Um, I, I've always thought that, you know, and again, I'm going to date myself. You know, I remember the advent of the, of the, the, la, the, the, um, the home computer. You know, every player is different, and you've got to find a way to connect with them. Some players, you know what, you can give them a kick in the pants, and they respond to it. Other players need a, a, an arm around their shoulders and some players need a pat on the back. And so it's really, it's incumbent on the coach to understand what makes that player tick and try to connect with them. I was a player that, you know, you really had to earn my trust in order to kick my fanny. But once you did, you could. And I think, and I think, a, lot of, I think a lot of humans are that way. If they, if they know that you have their, their uh, best interest in heart, then you can lean on them a little bit more. Yeah, I agree with you. So, so John Cunniff's influence runs kind of, uh, deep in or had a really impactful part of your life. When did the coaching thing come into play for you? Really by happenstance, Matt. Um, the real world has a way of, of pushing you right back into hockey. Uh, so I, I, I played a year after college in Europe. I played in Scotland, which was a great experience. Um, and, and then I, I kicked around a little bit. I actually moved to Vail, Colorado and and uh, learned how to ski and snowboard and, and, and uh, kind of made up for the four spring breaks I'd missed. And then I came back and I got a job selling tele- telecommunications, um, which was great for, for down the road when I was coaching in college because uh, recruiting is sales. And so I learned how to sell. But nine months of cold calling in a cubicle, um, as, as much as I really liked the company and, and the guy I work for is actually now a, a, a uh, minority owner of the Celtics guy, Rob Hale, a uh, wonderful businessman. Um, I remember walking into his office and just saying, you know what? I, I, I'm not built to do something just for money. I, I feel like I have a higher purpose. So I literally went back to school to get my, my master's in education In doing so uh, I was out at UMass Amherst. My former coach was the, the, the head coach in 93 when they reinstated the program. I started volunteering coaching for him and withdrew from my classes. It was like an epiphany that, that, you know what, this is, if I'm going to teach, this is going to be the classroom on the ice. And, um, and I haven't looked back since. So I'm very lucky. Uh, he not only gave me my start as a, a college hockey player, he recruited me. He also gave me my start as a coach. You were at, uh, with Brett Senior, and I know we're kind of moving along, but I think what is it like, you know, as a, a head coach, to have a guy that you're coaching all throughout college, you then happen to go see his first pro goal, which was here in Binghamton. You're sitting in the stands. Then you become the coach. And then the next year you get to tell him, I think it was his first call up ever. I believe that you told him, I mean that how many coaches can say something like that? No, I mean, I, I watched, I watched scenes when he was 17 years old, uh, playing in Kingston and, and, uh, um, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a great experience with him. He's such a competitor. Um, I've got on my phone, I've got the picture of when he was drafted too. I mean, I, I was, I remember calling him the day he was drafted. He was, the draft was in Florida, I believe, because he was down there with his father and brother. And um, yeah. And ironically, I would, I was in the building. I came up to watch him play. Um, Fitzy was actually in the building as well. And uh, uh, talked a little bit and watched his first goal. And then to be able to tell him a uh, guy, that I had known for five years who, you know, meant so much to my career because of how good a player he was collegiately to be able to tell him, uh, you're going up to the NHL was something really special for me. And, uh, 
you know, he's, he's a real competitor, um, a student of the game, uh, you know, uh, growing up in, in Dorchester, they, they love to say it's not the dog in the fight, it's the fight in the dog. Anybody that's watched Brettini play understands what I'm talking about. You mentioned Dorchester. I brought it up earlier because it's actually part of Boston, but it's its own thing, isn't it? Like <laughs> Dorchester is its own yeah. spot. Yeah, ask Kevin Hayes. Uh, you know, <laughs> ask the Hayes brothers. Um, we like to say most people are OFD, which is originally from Dorchester. At one point, St. Margaret's, uh, which, which uh, was a maternity uh, hospital primarily, I think almost half of, of Boston was born at, at, uh, at St. Margaret's. So we, we like to say that at least half of the city is OFD, but uh, <laughs> no, just a real special place. Um, uh, a pretty diverse place, you know, uh, um, and you, you, you know, people are from Dorchester when they ask you in, instead of saying, you know, what street or what corner, or what circle, they'll say, what parish are you from? Mm -hmm. um, my mom's still there. Uh, you know, but uh, there was a really big hockey contingent there. Um, you know, there, there was, you know, I can think of, we used to play street hockey all the time. And within a, a four block radius of, of that street hockey game, there was almost, I think, 20 Division One college hockey players. Um, you know, Northeastern, Boston University, Providence, some of the, the best programs in, in all of Division One college hockey. So you knew, like, if, if, if you could – uh, I'll give a, I'll give a shout out to, to PK, one of PK Subban's buddies, Chris O'Sullivan, whose brother Sean was sort of the, the, the patriarch. He was the first guy to kind of make it be a division one college hockey player. Uh, Chris then went on to play in the NHL and then you got the Hayes brothers and, uh, and so on and so forth. So it's, uh, there's a lot of breeding grounds for hockey and, and a lot of, uh, a lot of hard fought street hockey games. Well, and, 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 and Rob, I'll, I'll let you jump in here in a second, but I was doing some, uh, research uh, in anticipation of this interview on Dorchester and to show you, and it's a big part of Boston. It's like, it's not like a small neighborhood. It's a, it's no, the it's, biggest, it's the biggest it section of Boston. So we're not talking about a small community within the city, but at any rate, uh, so everyone from Whitey Bulger to Sheldon Adelson, who's one of the richest men in the world and owns casinos galore, uh, credit Dorchester or, 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 list Dorchester as their hometown. So it's a little bit of everything, but it is a special place. There's no question about that. Well, we had, we had the Backstreet Boys last year at the Pro. That's right. Uh, Wahlberg's and, and, from and, there, Well, yeah. well the, the new kids on the block. Let's make sure we oh, get our oh, I'm sorry. Yes. right here. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the new kids I actually went to school with, uh, we were bust. Uh, we, we went to school in Roxbury. Um, so I, I knew the Wahlberg family pretty well and, and Danny Wood and, and uh, Dennis Lehane, the author, who uh, Mystic River, Gone Baby Gone. Um, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a very big town in Boston. I think mm -hmm. it's the largest landmass of, of all the boroughs. Um, but with that said, you know, then you go to New York City and, and, you know, you could fit Boston in one of the boroughs. So it kind of puts it in its place. Bostonians like to think we're, we're you know, uh, metropolitan. Um, we got a little Green Acres in us, too. <laughs> Uh, Mark, I was just kind of looking up. I was going back to your, your playing days. I won't say how long ago, but it, the one name that really popped up uh, that Devils fans will be really uh, interested to hear about, uh, Bill Guerin. Uh, you played with, with him. Uh, what was he like as a, as a teammate and, and as a player there in college? Awesome teammate. Uh, and, and um, you know, 
he actually, uh, you know, our paths crossed again down the road uh, when I left college hockey and he gave me my first professional job two months before uh, I got the Binghamton job with, with the Wheeling Nailers. Uh, Billy was a man child. I mean, you know, 18 years old, he was a first round draft pick before he ever uh, came to college. Um, and he was one of those guys that he'd pin you on the wall with his hand. Like, you know, he'd come in and he'd bump you in the corner and he'd pin you on the wall with his hand and your feet would be dangling in the air. Like he was just, he had such uh, man strength. Um, I think he scored 27 or 23 goals his sophomore year um, and shot the puck so hard. I bet you 60% of them hit the goalie and, and, and went in and always had his teammates back. Um, you know, um, penalty minute, Penalty minutes, you know, are not prolific at the at the college level, um, but but he had quite a few, and most of them were either just he was stronger than everybody else and he'd run guys over, or uh, you know, or he'd be coming to someone's defense. But I'll say this, and and I, this is probably one of the biggest compliments I can give him, um, hasn't changed a lick. You know, uh, just the same guy, the same loyal guy. Uh, as he was as an 18-year-old draft pick with the Devils. And um, I remember, and, 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 and Pete Alberts can, can kind of, you know, uh, back me up on this. I believe that uh, some of the Devils made it to the Letterman show after the, the Cup in 95. Um, and I think he was one of the guys. Cause I remember staying up late because I had heard that he was going to be on it. Um, and and uh, I, I believe he was part of the crew that was – uh, the Devils at Ron Letterman a couple nights after winning the cup, which is pretty cool. Well, that's, if any, that's something that's something for someone our age to say you're on Letterman. That was you know, big time. Yeah, for sure. Well, Pete, of course, the vice president of hockey operations and uh, or hockey communications and team operations. Uh, he may be able to verify that. But at any rate, I do, I do recall that Billy was with that group. And if and Billy would be on that group, like, you know what I mean? Like that's Without just the personality he has. He wasn't going to miss out. And, I can only imagine what he was like as a late teenager at Boston <laughs> College because uh, he just liked to have fun, and yeah. he still does. And uh, I can just imagine how he just must have enjoyed his time uh, at BC, for sure. Well, I can, I can say this because my, my family's out of the car right now, and I, I wouldn't want my daughters to hear this, but let's, I think anybody that, that went to college in that era is thankful that Facebook and Snapchat and <laughs> And Twitter did not exist back then. So, but for the grace of God. Uh, mm -hmm. But no, he was he was a great teammate, a really good college hockey player, and he was a guy that it didn't take you long from being on the ice with him to know he wasn't going to be in college very long. Uh, in his sophomore year, he had 102 pims in just 38 games. So, 23 goals. Am I right with that? Uh, 26. So three 26. Off. Right, yeah. Almost there, though. Almost there. Well, I can tell you, he earned every goal and penalty minute. <laughs> so we've talked about a lot of things other than this year's team so i know uh, the listeners on the speak of the devils want to know about some of the players you had we we had a couple of them on a uh, podcast earlier uh got to know them a little better but you know who would this in your mind who made the biggest leap and and looking ahead i mean i don't want to tie you down to a number per se but like the other day, Marty Brodeur was saying, like, you know, the guys we draft now, they don't have to be in the lineup right away because we have guys coming. Who are those guys who are coming? You know, I, progress is so hard to, to define. 
Um, you know, I, I think it'd be easy for me to say, give you the kind of how some of the, the, the big movers moved than to say this guy progressed better than that guy. Fair um, you know, and, and, but you've seen it. I mean, you look at, I, I want to first give props to, you know, you look at the guys that came back that had good camps. You look at Mikey McLeod, you look at Nate Bastion, Brett Sini, you look at, at Joey Anderson, guys that uh, in Joey Anderson and Brett Sini, who both played significant minutes the year before, all four of those guys came back with great attitudes, which is the first, that's the first part right there is, is how you, you know, I, I like to say to guys and, and they know I love quotes. Life is, 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 10% what happens to you and 90% how you deal with it. So those guys could have been disappointed coming back, not having made the team out of camp, but they all came back with great attitudes. Um, and they all progressed to the, to the point where I think they're going to be able to help the devils. You saw a little bit about Mikey McLeod at the end of the year and, and he played some games and, and trust me when I tell you, the more comfortable he gets, the more productive he's going to be. But one of the things that you get from him every game is he's got a big motor, he's got a lot of energy, uh, and he's going to get chances. You're going to notice him. And as he gets uh, more comfortable, he'll start to deposit those. But uh, I, I think he'd be hard-pressed not to, not to at least recognize that when he plays, you see him out there. You notice him, and, and, he's, and he's getting chances. And it is hard. I think it's probably one of the hardest positions besides goaltender to make that jump is at center because of the responsibilities at both ends of the zone. Um, Nate Bastion didn't get a chance this year uh, to come up, but I think he was on that track if the season had been, uh, had, had come to its full uh, fruition. Uh, and, and he is just, he's got a great net front presence. What I've always liked about Nate is his hockey sense and the fact that he embraces and understands what, what is going to get him to that next level. He's got a big body. He protects the puck well. He's good on the wall. Um, and, and he really started to come on offensively at the end of the year. If you look at his point totals, um, I think in his last four games, he almost had 40%. At the last 14 games, he almost had 40% of his points. Um, he was getting a lot of chances early and, and was a little bit snake bit, but didn't get frustrated. So he knows who he is and he plays to his foundations. Um, you know, Joey Anderson – you know, I know that, that last year, at least I get some of the feedback I got from, from the, the NHL guys was that, you know, he was very responsible, very smart. They'd like to see him be a little more productive. Well, he came up this year and, and he was a little more productive. You saw how, he, you know, he, again, in bingo, he got off to a little bit of a slow start, but it wasn't because he wasn't getting chances. And then he really took off and started burying them. And it was something that he talked about. He wanted to get some of his offensive swagger back. And I think he did. And, and I, that's what Binghamton's for. It is to find, it, it is to help you take the game that you played at a lower level and get it ready for the big time. And, and Joe used his time wisely. And so I was happy to see how, how he played at the end there on the Devils. But there are other guys that, that, that I could mention as well. I mean, you look at a guy like Josh Jacobs who got a chance towards the end there. Um, he had a really uh, big year for us. You know, his second year, he was, he was good. But you were, you were waiting for him to take that jump, and, and I thought he, he took a big step in the right direction this year and was rewarded with some, some games and, and played well. Um, some guys that you haven't even seen yet uh, at the big level, like uh, Igor Sharangovich or, uh, or Marion Studenich, both guys really uh, had good years for us. And, and, again, if you look at their point totals, a lot of it was in the, the second half of their second year. And to me, looking at the collegiate development model, that's really when you know whether you've got a player or not. Guys can come in and they might have a good freshman year, um, you know, but it's not until halfway through that second year that you know, 
hey, this guy's going to be a player. And I haven't even mentioned Kukunen. I haven't even mentioned uh, uh, Boakfist yet. Guys that, that, you know, came down late that, that were really productive for us. Uh, Colton White's another guy. So, um, and, and Gilles Sen, I mean, Gilles Sen made more progress in one year than any goaltender I've ever been around. Um, uh, kudos to, to Scott Clementson and all he's done. But at the end of the day, it's about the players putting in the work. And, uh, and these guys really worked hard down with us. And I was happy to see our team rewarded with wins and happy to see a lot of these guys rewarded with a little bit of time up in the NHL. Mark, you kind of took the, my next question out. You know, going to the, the goaltending in Gilles Sen, I know it, at, at first, talking with Scott Clementson early on in the season, his big thing was, you know, it's going to be, we're going to, it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts to everything uh, in terms of the ice size and whatnot. Uh, you know, and the, the progress that he made throughout the year, especially he only lost two games, just looking at everything quickly, two games uh, in the final 12 or 13 of the season, uh, you know, with Scott Clementson, what did you notice with Gilles Sen that really was uh, his biggest progress throughout that, that time? So uh, Scott is uh, around a lot. Um, not that, that Riz and, 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 um, and Wino aren't, it's just, you know, we need him there to work with the goalies as often as he can. And, and so he's there a lot. And I know that one of the things he talked to um, Jill about early on in the year is coming to the rink with a purpose, you know, come to the rink and, and have a game plan. Don't just wander in and kind of see what's in store for you. And Jill is a little bit older. He's not an 18 year old rookie, you know, uh, and, and he brought that maturity with him. He came to the rink and he was ready to work. Um, you know, it, there are always ups and downs no matter how good your year goes. Um, but in all my dealings with him, he's also just, he, he, it, you're talking to a man. So when things are going well, he doesn't get too high. He stays with the game plan. And then if maybe he has an outing or two where, where he didn't like the results, uh, or if maybe you didn't like the results, he's able to look at that straight on and be honest with himself. Uh, but uh, no, I think one of the biggest, and you, you quoted it, like, his wins, you know, at the end of the day, that's the most important stat for goaltenders is, is how many games have you won? Do you give your team a chance to win? And can you win, make the game-winning save? And, and, uh, and Jill earned that trust early. And, and it was – we had it with him all year long. And, and you know, looking at that, he, he also won the final seven games of the season. So uh, seven – game win streak to to finish it out it also has to help too when you have a guy like Corey Schneider around the locker room at times you have a guy like Louis Domingue around the locker room at times and then even towards the end of the year how Zane McIntyre played you know he's had a lot of guys that that he's been able to to watch and kind of pick their brain and, and that's a I think that's really a, a an underappreciated component in Binghamton you know uh, I'm a big fan of of Bull Durham Right. And uh, you look at Kevin Costner's character and, and uh, as good a player as he was, you know, a, a significant part of his job was to help mentor Nuke Lelouch, you know, um, and, and all of, you know, any, any guy that signs an NHL contract with us is, is you know, we're, we're in charge of their development. We want them to achieve their goals, too. But it's the really special players like Corey Schneider and, and, and you mentioned Zane McIntyre at the end of the year. That they know that, that, hey, part of the job of a vet is to help some of these younger guys. And they did an outstanding job. You know, I, I, I mentioned Corey earlier on in the podcast. And, um, 
you know, I'll, I'll never forget. We were having a team meeting. We were go, going over some coverage. And, you know, we're, we're presenting. It's the coaching staff presenting. And halfway through it, Corey jumps in and says, hey, listen, these are issues that we had up in, in New Jersey as well, and this is how we handled it. And after the meeting, he came right up to me, and he's like, Coach, I hope you don't – I hope I wasn't out of line. I said, you know, Schneid's like, you know, as a coach, I always want to appreciate what it's like at ice level, number one, right? And number two, I want to take advantage of as many resources as I have. And you are a great resource for these young guys. So, no, I don't mind you speaking up at all, as long as you do it respectfully, which he did uh, at the right time, which he did, and in the right manner. Um, shame on, a, on, on any coach that wouldn't utilize that type of experience. And it really gave what we were talking about credibility. So, no, those guys had a huge impact, and I think Jill would be the first one to, let, to, to agree. So what's next uh, for Mark Dennehy, other than uh, the conclusion of this road trip that we've interrupted for the <laughs> podcast? No, you haven't interrupted it. This is part <laughs> of my life. It's part of my family's life. Uh, they completely understand. And, uh, you know, what's next? It's continue to try to get better. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I got to know uh, Mike Babcock a little bit. And, you know, one of the challenges that, that he gives his players is, you know, you, you got to get better in the summer. And then he challenges his coaches. We've got to get better as coaches as well. You've got to lead by example. So, um, you know, we're going to continue with the Zoom calls. Uh, I actually am in the process of taking an online analytics class through Columbia University, um, which during the pandemic, they, they allowed, um, they allowed uh, the general public to opt, audit some of these classes. So hopefully I can speak uh, uh, Tyler Dello and, and Matt's <laughs> language a little bit better. Um, you know, just trying to get better. And, and, and I know my batteries are charged up. So, so when that season starts, We'll be ready to go. All right. You're on the, the road trip. Uh, it's a pretty long one. Daughter's in the car. Your wife's in the car. You're in the car. Who's got the music? Uh, <laughs> who listens to what? Do you have any say? So, you know what? As an assistant coach, you, you, one of, the, one of the, the things you look forward to is controlling the, the, the monitors on the bus for the bus rides. Unfortunately, <laughs> that, for me – Technology was ahead of me. So by the time I became a head coach, all these guys had Netflix and iPads. And so I look back and all I see are ear pods and uh, iPhones. And so I really don't get to control much. My wife and I are listening to a book uh, by David Goggins, a former Navy SEAL called Can't Hurt Me. And I'm actually glad they have their ear pods in because there's some vulgarity, but it's a great book. Um, so really it's, it's, uh, I've got to convince my wife uh, to listen to what I want to listen to. But so far, it's been good. So far, it's been good. Well, Mark, it's been great to spend time with you. Uh, the insights have been terrific, your background, and what you've brought to the table with the Binghamton Devils. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, so thank you very much for giving us some time today. And we look forward to when we're all back out on the ice and we can uh, get back into action and see the New Jersey Devils and the Binghamton Devils on the ice once again. Thanks very much again. Absolutely, Matt. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And Rob, thank you for spending time with us. I think I used again about six times in that last sentence, but that's okay. No, hey, that's fine. I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, Mark, thanks for, thanks for jumping on. This has to be one of the more fun interviews that uh, you've done with me. So uh, I, hope, uh, I hope you had fun too. 
I'm just glad that you that, that you you had proper voice modulation, Rob, and, and uh, really professionally done. <laughs> no doubt, over modulation is the death knell for a professional <laughs> broadcaster. And on that note, we will wrap things up on Speak of the Devil. Special thanks again to Mark Dennehy, the Binghamton Devils coach, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for your company. Thanks for listening today, and we'll see you next time. I'm Matt Lachlan for Rob Lopolis. So long, everyone.